This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Anderson. A Girl of the Limberlost. By Jean Stratton Porter. Chapter 22. Wherein Philip Ammon kneels to Elnora, and strangers come to the Limberlost. The month which followed was a reproduction of the previous June. There were long moth hunts, days of specimen gathering, wonderful hours with great books, big dinners all of them helped to prepare, and perfect nights filled with music. Everything was as it had been, with the difference that Philip was now an avowed suitor. He missed no opportunity to advance himself in Elnora's graces. At the end of the month he was no nearer any sort of understanding with her than he had been at the beginning. He reveled in the privilege of loving her, but he got no response. Elnora believed in his love, yet she hesitated to accept him, because she could not forget Edith Carr. One afternoon, early in July, Philip came across the fields through the Comstock woods and entered the garden. He inquired for Elnora at the back door and was told that she was reading under the willow. He went around the west end of the cabin to her. She sat on a rustic bench they had made and placed beneath a drooping branch. He had not seen her before in the dress she was wearing. It was a clinging mull of pale green, trimmed with narrow ruffles and touched with knots of black velvet. A simple dress, but vastly becoming. Every tint of her bright hair, her luminous eyes, her red lips, and her rose-flushed face, neck, and arms grew a little more vivid with the delicate green setting. He stopped short. She was so near, so temptingly sweet, he lost control. He went to her with a half-smothered cry after that first long look, dropped on one knee beside her and reached an arm behind her to the bench back so that he was very near. He caught her hands. Elnora, he cried tensely, end it now. Say this strain is over. I pledge you that you will be happy. You don't know. If you only would say the word, you would awake to new life and great joy. Won't you promise me now, Elnora? The girl sat staring into the west woods, while strong in her eyes was her father's look of seeing something invisible to others. Philip's arm slipped from the bench around her. Her fingers closed firmly over his. Elnora, he pleaded, you know me well enough. You have had time and plenty. End it now. Say you will be mine. He gathered her closer, pressing his face against hers, his breath on her cheek. Can't you quite promise me yet, my girl of the Limberlost? Elnora shook her head. Instantly he released her. Forgive me, he begged. I had no intention of thrusting myself upon you. But, Elnora, you are the veriest queen of love this afternoon. From the tip of your toes to your shining crown, I worship you. I want no woman save you. You are so wonderful this afternoon. I couldn't help urging. Forgive me. Perhaps it was something that came this morning for you. I wrote Polly to send it. May we try if it fits? Will you tell me if you like it? He drew a little white velvet box from his pocket and showed her a splendid emerald ring. It may not be right, he said. The inside of a glove finger is not very accurate for a measure, but it was the best I could do. 
I wrote Polly to get it because she and mother are home from the east this week. But next they will go on to our cottage in the north, and no one knows what is right quite so well as Polly. He laid the ring in Elnora's hand. Dearest, he said, don't slip that on your finger. Put your arms round my neck and promise me all at once and abruptly or I'll keel over and die of sheer joy. Elnora smiled. I won't. Not all those venturesome things at once. But, Phil, I'm ashamed to confess that ring simply fascinates me. It is the most beautiful one I ever saw. And do you know that I never owned a ring of any kind in my life? Would you think me unwomanly if I slip it on for a second before I can say for sure? Phil, you know I care. I care very much. You know I will tell you the instant I feel right about it. Certainly you will, agreed Philip promptly. It is your right to take all the time you choose. I can't put that ring on you until it means a bond between us. I'll shut my eyes and you try it on so we can see if it fits. Philip turned his face toward the west woods and tightly closed his eyes. It was a boyish thing to do, and it caught the hesitating girl in the depths of her heart as the boy element in a man ever appeals to a motherly woman. Before she quite realized what she was doing, the ring slid on her finger. With both arms she caught Philip and drew him to her breast, holding him closely. Her head drooped over his, her lips were on his hair. So an instant, then her arms dropped. He lifted a convulsed white face. Dear Lord, he whispered, you, you didn't mean to do that, Elnora. You, what made you do it? You, you look so boyish, panted Elnora. I, di I didn't mean it. I, I forgot that you were older than Billy. Look, look at the ring. The queen can do no wrong, quoted Philip between his teeth. But don't you do that again, Elnora, unless you do mean it. Kings are not so good as queens, and there is a limit with all men. As you say, we will look at your ring. It seems very lovely to me. Suppose you leave it on until time for me to go. Please do. I have heard of mute appeals. Perhaps it will plead for me. I am wild for your lips this afternoon. I am going to take your hands. He caught both of them and covered them with kisses. Elnora, he said, will you be my wife? I must have a little more time, she whispered. I must be absolutely certain. For when I say yes and give myself to you, only death shall part us. I would not give you up. So I want a little more time. But I think I will. Thank you, said Philip. If at any time you feel that you have reached a decision, will you tell me? Will you promise me to tell me instantly? Or shall I keep asking you until the time comes? You make it difficult, said Elnora. But I will promise you that Whenever the last doubt vanishes, I will let you know instantly if I can. Would it be difficult for you? whispered Ammon. I, I don't know, faltered Elnora. It seems as if I can't be man enough to put this thought aside and give up this afternoon, said Philip. I am ashamed of myself, but I can't help it. I'm going to ask God to make that last doubt vanish before I go this night. I am going to believe that ring will plead for me. I'm going to hope that doubt will disappear suddenly. I will be watching. Every second I will be watching. If it happens and you can't speak, give me your hand. Just the least movement toward me I will understand. Would it help you to talk this over with your mother? Shall I call her? Shall I? Honk, 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 honk. 
Hart Henderson set the horn of the big automobile going as it shot from behind the trees lining the brushwood road. The picture of a vine-covered cabin, a large drooping tree, a green-clad girl, and a man bending over her very closely flashed into view. Edith Carr caught her breath with a snap. Polly Ammon gave Tom Levering a quick touch and wickedly winked at him. Several days before, Edith had returned from Europe suddenly. She and Henderson had called at the Ammon residence, saying that they were going to motor down to the Limberlost to see Philip a few hours, and urged that Polly and Tom accompany them. Mrs. Ammon knew that her husband would disapprove of the trip, but it was easy to see that Edith Carr had determined on going. So the mother thought it better to have Polly along to support Philip than to allow him to confront Edith unexpectedly and alone. Polly was full of spirit. She did not relish the thought of Edith as a sister. Always they had been in the same set. Always Edith, because of greater beauty and wealth, had patronized Polly. Although it had rankled, she had borne it sweetly, but two days before her father had extracted a promise of secrecy, given her Philip's address, and told her to send him the finest emerald ring she could select. Polly knew how that ring would be used. What she did not know was that the girl who accompanied her went back to the store afterward, made an excuse to the clerk that she had been sent to be absolutely sure the address was right, and so secured it for Edith Carr. Two days later, Edith had induced Hart Henderson to take her to Anabasha. By the aid of maps, they located Comstock land and passed it, merely to see the place. Henderson hated that trip, and implored Edith not to take it, but she made no effort to conceal from him what she suffered, and it was more than he could endure. He pointed out that Philip had gone away without leaving an address because he did not wish to see her or any of them. But Edith was so sure of her power she felt certain Philip needed only to see her to succumb to her beauty as he always had done, while now she was ready to plead for forgiveness. So they came down the brushwood road, and Henderson had just said to Edith beside him, This should be the Comstock land on our left. A minute later the wood ended, while the sunlight, as always pitiless, etched with distinctness the scene at the west end of the cabin. Instinctively, to save Edith, Henderson set the horn blowing. He had thought to drive to the city, but Polly Ammon arose, crying, Phil! Phil! Tom Levering was on his feet, shouting and waving, while Edith, in her most imperial manner, ordered him to turn into the lane, leading through the woods beside the cabin. Find some way for me to have a minute alone with her, she commanded as he stopped the car. That is my sister Polly, her fiancé, Tom Levering, a friend of mine, named Henderson, and, began Philip, and Edith Carr, volunteered Elnora, and Edith Carr, repeated Philip Ammon. Elnora, be brave for my sake. Their coming can make no difference in any way. I won't let them stay but a few minutes. Come with me. Do I seem scared, inquired Elnora serenely. This is why you haven't had your answer. I have been waiting just six weeks for that motor. You may bring them to me at the arbor. Philip glanced at her and broke into a laugh. She had not lost color. Her self-possession was perfect. 
she deliberately turned and walked toward the grape arbor while he sprang over the west fence and ran to the car elnora standing in the arbor entrance made a perfect picture framed in green leaves and tendrils no matter how her heart ached it was good to her for it pumped steadily and kept her cheeks and lips suffused with color she saw philip reach the car and gather his sister into his arms past her he reached a hand to levering then to edith carr and henderson he lifted his sister to the ground and assisted edith to alight instantly she stepped beside him and elnora's heart played its first trick she could see that miss carr was splendidly beautiful while she moved with the hauteur and grace supposed to be the prerogatives of royalty and she had instantly taken possession of philip but he also had a brain which was working with rapidity he knew elnora was watching so he turned to the others give her up tom he cried i didn't know i wanted to see the little nuisance so badly but i do how are father and mother polly polly didn't the mater send me something she did said polly ammon stopping on the path and lifting her chin as a little child while she drew away her veil philip caught her in his arms and stooped for his mother's kiss be good to elnora he whispered mm-hmm assented polly and aloud look at that ripping green and gold symphony i never saw such a beauty thomas asquith levering you come straight here and take my hand edith's move to compel philip to approach elnora beside her had been easy to see also its failure henderson stepped into philip's place as he turned to his sister instead of taking polly's hand levering ran to open the gate edith passed through first but polly darted in front of her on the run with phil holding her arm and swept up to elnora polly looked for the ring and saw it that settled matters you lovely lovely darling girl she cried throwing her arms around elnora and kissing her with her lips close elnora's ear polly whispered sister dear dear sister elnora drew back staring at polly in confused amazement she was a beautiful girl her eyes were sparkling and dancing and as she turned to make way for the others she kept one of elnora's hands in hers polly would have dropped dead in that instant if edith carr could have killed with a look for not until then did she realize that polly would even many a slight and that it had been a great mistake to bring her edith bowed low muttered something and touched elnora's fingers tom took his cue from polly i always follow a good example he said and before anyone could divine his intention he kissed elnora as he gripped her hand and cried mighty glad to meet you like to meet you a dozen times a day you know elnora laughed and her heart pumped smoothly they had accomplished their purpose they let her know that they were there through compulsion but on her side in that instant only pity was in elnora's breast for the flashing dark beauty standing with smiling face while her heart must have been filled with exceeding bitterness elnora stepped back from the entrance come into the shade she urged you must have found it warm on these country roads won't you lay aside your dust coats and have a cool drink philip would you ask mother to come and bring that pitcher from the spring house 
they entered the arbor exclaiming at the dim green coolness there was plenty of room and wide seats around the sides a table in the center on which lay a piece of embroidery magazines books the moth apparatus and the cyanide jar containing several specimens polly rejoiced in the cooling shade slipped off her duster removed her hat rumpled her pretty hair and seated herself to indulge in the delightful occupation of paying off old scores tom levering followed her example edith took a seat but refused to remove her hat and coat while henderson stood in the entrance there goes something with wings should you have that cried levering he seized a net from the table and raced around the garden after a butterfly he caught it and came back mightily pleased with himself as the creature struggled in the net elnora noted her repulsed look on edith carr's face levering helped the situation beautifully now what have i got he demanded is it just a common one that everyone knows and you don't keep or is it the rarest bird off the perch you must have had practice you took that so perfectly said elnora i am sorry but it is quite common and not of a kind i keep suppose all of you see how beautiful it is and then it may go nectar hunting again she held the butterfly where all of them could see showed its upper and under wing colors answered polly's question as to what it ate how long it lived and how it died then she put it into polly's hand saying stand there in the light and loosen your hold slowly and easily elnora caught a brush from the table and began softly stroking the creature's sides and wings delighted with the sensation the butterfly opened and closed its wings clinging to polly's soft little fingers while everyone cried out in surprise elnora laid aside the brush and the butterfly sailed away why you are a wizard you charm them marveled levering i learned that from the bird woman said elnora she takes soft brushes and coaxes butterflies and moths into the positions she wants for the illustrations of a book she is writing i have helped her often most of the rare ones i find go to her then you don't keep all you take questioned levering oh dear no cried elnora not a tenth for myself a pair of each kind to use in illustrating the lectures i give in the city schools in the winter and one pair for each collection i make one might as well keep the big night moths of june for they only live four or five days anyway for the bird woman i only save rare ones she has not yet secured sometimes i think it is cruel to take such creatures from freedom even for an hour but it is the only way to teach the masses of people how to distinguish the pests that they should destroy from the harmless ones of great beauty here comes mother with something cool to drink mrs comstock came deliberately talking to philip as she approached elnora gave her one searching look but could discover only an extreme brightness of eye to denote any unusual feeling she wore one of her lavender dresses while her snowy hair was high piled she had taken care of her complexion and her face had grown fuller during the winter she might have been anyone's mother with pride and she was perfectly at ease polly instantly went to her and held up her face to be kissed mrs comstock's eyes twinkled and she made the greeting hearty the drink was compounded of the juices of oranges and berries from the garden it was cool enough to frost glasses and pitcher and delicious to dusty tired travellers soon the pitcher was empty and elnora picked it up and went to refill it while she was gone henderson asked philip about some trouble he was having with his car 
they went to the woods and began a minute examination to find a defect which did not exist. Polly and Levering were having an animated conversation with Mrs. Comstock. Henderson saw Edith arise, follow the garden path next the woods, and stand waiting under the willow which Elnora would pass on her return. It was for that meeting he had made the trip. He got down on the ground, tore up the car, worked, asked for help, and kept Philip busy screwing bolts and applying the oil can. All the time Henderson kept an eye on Edith and Elnora under the willow, but he took pains to lay the work he asked Philip to do where that scene would be out of his sight. When Elnora came around the corner with the pitcher, she found herself facing Edith Carr. "'I want a minute with you,' said Miss Carr. "'Very well,' replied Elnora, walking on. "'Set the pitcher on the bench there,' commanded Edith Carr, as if speaking to a servant. "'I prefer not to offer my visitors a warm drink,' said Elnora. "'I'll come back if you really wish to speak with me.' "'I came solely for that,' said Edith Carr. "'It would be a pity to travel so far in this dust and heat for nothing. "'I'll only be gone a second. Elnora placed the pitcher before her mother. "'Please serve this,' she said. "'Miss Carr wishes to speak with me.' "'Don't you pay the least attention to anything she says,' cried Polly. "'Tom and I didn't come here because we wanted to. "'We only came to checkmate her. "'I'd hoped I'd get the opportunity to say a word to you, "'and now she has given it to me. "'I just want to tell you that she threw Phil over in a perfectly horrid way. "'She hasn't any right to lay the ghost of a claim to him, has she, Tom?' "'Nary a claim,' said Tom Levering earnestly. "'Why, even you, Polly, couldn't serve me as she did Phil "'and ever get me back again. "'If I were you, Miss Comstock, I'd send my mother to talk with her "'and I'd stay here.' "'Tom had gauged Mrs. Comstock rightly. "'Polly put her arms around Elnora. "'Let me go with you, dear,' she begged. "'I promised I would speak with her alone,' said Elnora, "'and she must be considered. "'But thank you very much.' "'How I shall love you,' exulted Polly. "'giving Elnora a parting hug. "'The girl slowly and gravely walked back to the willow. "'She could not imagine what was coming, "'but she was promising herself that she would be very patient "'and control her temper. "'Will you be seated?' she asked politely. "'Edith Carr glanced at the bench while a shudder shook her. "'No, I prefer to stand,' she said. "'Did Mr. Ammon give you the ring you were wearing, "'and do you consider yourself engaged to him?' "'By what right do you ask such personal questions as those?' inquired Elnora. "'By the right of a betrothed wife. "'I have been promised to Philip Ammon ever since I wore short skirts. "'All our lives we were expected to marry. "'An agreement of years cannot be broken in one insane moment. "'Always he has loved me devotedly. "'Give me ten minutes with him and he will be mine for all time.' "'I seriously doubt that,' said Elnora, "'but I am willing that you should make the test. "'I will call him.' "'Stop!' commanded Edith Carr. "'I told you that it was you I came to see.' "'I remember,' said Elnora. "'Mr. Ammon is my betrothed,' continued Edith Carr. "'I expect to take him back to Chicago with me.' "'You expect considerable,' murmured Elnora. "'I will raise no objection to your taking him if you can.' "'But I tell you frankly, I don't think it possible.' "'You are so sure of yourself as that?' scoffed Edith Carr. "'One hour in my presence will bring back the old spell full force. "'We belong to each other. I will not give him up.' 
then it is untrue that you twice rejected his ring repeatedly insulted him and publicly renounced him that was through you cried edith carr phil and i never had been so near and so happy as we were on that night it was your clinging to him for things that caused him, him to desert me that night among his guests while he tried to make me await your pleasure i realize the spell of this place for a summer season i understand what you and your mother have done to inveigle him i know that your hold on him is quite real i can see just how you have worked to ensnare him men would call that lying said elnora calmly the second time i met philip ammon he told me of his engagement to you and i respected it i did by you as i would want you to do by me he was here parts of each day almost daily last summer the almighty is my witness that never once by word or look did i ever make the slightest attempt to interest him in my person or personality he wrote you frequently in my presence he forgot the violets for which he asked to send you i gathered them and carried them to him i sent him back to you in unswerving devotion and the almighty is also my witness that i could have changed his heart last summer if i had tried i wisely left that work for you all my life i shall be glad that i lived and worked on the square that he ever would come back to me free by your act i never dreamed when he left me i did not hope or expect to see him again elnora's voice fell soft and low and behold you sent him and free you exult in this cried edith carr let me tell you he is not free we have belonged for years we shall always if you cling to him and hold him to rash things he has said and done because he thought me still angry and unforgiving with him you will ruin all our lives if he married you before a month you would read heart hunger for me in his eyes he could not love me as he has done and give me up for a little scene like that there is a great poem said elnora one line of which reads for each man kills the thing he loves let me tell you that a woman can do that also he did love you that i concede but you killed his love everlastingly when you disgraced him in public killed it so completely he does not even feel resentment toward you today he would do you a favor if he could but love you no that is over edith carr stood truly regal and filled with scorn you are mistaken nothing on earth could kill that she cried and elnora saw that the girl really believed what she said you are very sure of yourself said elnora i have reason to be sure answered edith carr we have lived and loved too long i have had years with him to match against your days he is mine his work his ambitions his friends his place in society are with me you may have a summer charm for a sick man in the country if he tried placing you in society he soon would see you as others will it takes birth to position schooling and endless practice to meet social demands gracefully you would put him to shame in a week i scarcely think i should follow your example so far said elnora dryly i have a feeling for philip that would prevent my hurting him purposely either in public or private as for managing a social career for him he never mentioned that he desired such a thing what he asked of me was that i should be his wife i understood that to mean that he desired me to keep him a clean home serve him digestible food 
mother his children, and give him loving sympathy and tenderness. "'Shameless!' cried Edith Carr. "'To which of us do you intend that adjective to apply?' inquired Elnora. "'I never was less ashamed in all my life. "'Please remember I am in my own home, "'and your present here is not on my invitation.' "'Miss Carr lifted her head and struggled with her veil. "'She was very pale and trembling violently, "'while Elnora stood serene, a faint smile on her lips. "'Such vulgarity!' panted Edith Carr. "'How can a man like Philip endure it?' "'Why don't you ask him?' inquired Elnora. "'I can call him with one breath. "'But if he judged us as we stand, "'I should not be the one to tremble at his decision. "'Miss Carr, you have been quite plain. "'You have told me in carefully selected words "'what you think of me. "'You insult my birth, education, appearance, and home. "'I assure you I am legitimate. "'I will pass a test examination with you "'on any high school, or supplementary branch, or French or German. I will take a physical examination beside you. I will face any social emergency you can mention with you. I am acquainted with a whole world in which Philip Ammon is keenly interested that you scarcely know exists. I am not afraid to face any audience you can get together anywhere with my violin. I am not repulsive to look at, and I have a wholesome regard for the proprieties and civilities of life. "'Philip Ammon never asked anything more of me. "'Why should you?' "'It is plain to see,' cried Edith Carr, "'that you took him when he was hurt and angry "'and kept his wound wide open. Oh, "'What have you not done against me?' "'I did not promise to marry him "'when an hour ago he asked me "'and offered me this ring, "'because there was so much feeling in my heart for you, "'that I knew I could never be happy "'if I felt that in any way "'I had failed in doing justice to your interests.' I did slip on this ring, which he had just brought, because I never owned one, and it is very beautiful. But I made him no promise, nor shall I make any, until I am quite, quite sure that you fully realize he never would marry you if I sent him away this hour. You know perfectly that if your puny hold on him were broken, if he were back in my home among his friends, and where he was meeting me, in one short week he would be mine again, as he always has been. In your heart you don't believe what you say. You don't dare trust him in my presence. You are afraid to allow him out of your sight because you know what the results would be. Right or wrong, you have made up your mind to ruin him and me, and you are going to be selfish enough to do it. But that will do, said Elnora. Spare me the enumeration of how I will regret it. I shall regret nothing. I shall not act until I know there will be nothing to regret. I have decided on my course. You may return to your friends. What do you mean? demanded Edith Carr. That is my affair, replied Elnora, only this. When your opportunity comes, seize it. Any time you are in Philip Ammon's presence, exert the charms of which you boast, and take him. I grant you are justified in doing it if you can. I want nothing more than I want to see you marry Philip if he wants you. He is just across the fence under that automobile. Go spread your meshes and exert your wiles. I won't stir to stop you. Take him to Anabasha and to F Chicago with you. Use every art you possess. If the old charm can be revived, I will be the first to wish both of you well. Now I must return to my visitors. Kindly excuse me. Elnor turned and went back to the arbor. 
Edith Carr followed the fence and passed through the gate into the west woods where she asked Henderson about the car. As she stood near him, she whispered, Take Phil back to Anabasha with us. I say, Ammon, can't you go to the city with us and help me find a shop where I can get this pinion fixed? asked Henderson. We want to lunch and start back by five. Then that will get us home about midnight. Why don't you bring your automobile here? I'm a working man, said Philip. I have no time to be out motoring. I can't see anything the matter with your car myself, but of course you don't want to break down in the night on strange roads with women on your hands. I'll see. Philip went into the arbor, where Polly took possession of his lap, fingered his hair, and kissed his forehead and lips. When are you coming to the cottage, Phil? she asked. Come soon and bring Miss Comstock for a visit. All of us will be so glad to have her. Philip beamed on Polly. I'll see about that, he said. Sounds pretty good. Elnora, Henderson is in trouble with his automobile. He wants me to go to Anabasha with him to show him where the doctor lives and make repairs so he can start back this evening. It will take about two hours. May I go? Of course you must go, she said, laughing lightly. You can't leave your sisters. Why don't you return to Chicago with them? There is plenty of room and you could have a fine visit. I'll be back in just two hours, said Philip. While I am gone, you be thinking over what we were talking of when the folks came. Miss Comstock can go with us as well as not, said Polly. That back seat was made for three, and I can sit on your lap. Come on, do come, urged Philip instantly, and Tom Levering joined him, but Henderson and Edith silently waited at the gate. No, thank you, laughed Elnora. That would crowd you, and it's warm and dusty. We will say good-bye here. She offered her hand to all of them, and when she came to Philip, she gave him one long, steady look in the eyes, then shook hands with him also. End of chapter 22